Well, great. Well, we'll uh, let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father, we're, uh, we're just humbled to know you. We're humbled that you would give us the privilege of being parents. Lord, we know that it's a, a huge task, but one that you have uh, ordained from the beginning of time. Lord, as you knit our children in uh, their mother's womb, Lord, we know you've also at the same time prepare us for the task of parenting. God, that we are uh, just your grace gift in our kids' lives. I pray, Father, we would be a good one. We would take our role seriously. Father, give us uh, much wisdom. We need it. We're desperate for it from you. Give us the patience and the endurance we need, Lord, to be uh, good, godly parents. Father, we're thankful for a church that honors your word. We pray, God, that we would uh, learn much this morning uh, about how you've ordered things, Lord, how that you have given us uh, your perspective, Lord, your truth, and that we were to use that as a lens to see you through everything. Give us wisdom in matters of raising our children in that way, Lord, that they too may know you someday and walk with you faithfully and raise children who walk with you faithfully. In Christ's name, amen. Well, guys, we're almost finished. This is uh, our second to the last class. So this morning, we're going to think about the idea of worldview. Uh, and really, in essence, how do you see God in the middle of everything that we do? Uh, next week, we're going to talk about how we live that out, how our kids would live that out. So if you think about a little bit more today, some theory, some practical stuff. And then next week, we're going to pivot a little bit. Um, uh, I'm teaching again next week and want to really spend a time next week with a bit of a panel feel. So, you know, if you have questions throughout the, this whole class, Maybe some things you've jotted down. Maybe ask a question. You've thought about it more. You've thought of a nuance on how to do that. Or maybe some real practical application stuff. Bring that next week. So I hope to spend a good 50% of the class next week. Michelle's going to join me, and we're just going to answer questions. We may do some scenarios next week where we talk about, like, specifics, parenting. You can throw some of those scenarios out. We'll discuss that. So hopefully uh, next week becomes the most sort of practically intensive class so far. So hopefully all of this is built up to the point where, uh, where that'll be a fruitful time. So um, certainly you have our contact information uh, on the uh, handout every week. John, Stephen, JJ, myself, uh, certainly any point you want to email. If you want to send me questions in advance for next week, that'd be great. And I'll think about those and maybe come with some, some thoughts as well, if that makes sense. So, all right, well, worldview I want to start off just in an introductory way to just point out something that hopefully is becoming really clear to all of us, but the color gray is fading quickly. You notice that? You know, someone asked one time, you know, what's Satan's favorite color? And we debate, is it red? Is it black? Is it whatever? And the answer, I think, was gray. I think gray is Satan's favorite color. I think it's this thing in the middle that we all live in sort of this in-between world where we're neither hot nor cold where we're neither clear or really unclear. You know, there's this, there's this murkiness in the middle where we think we see, but we're not sure. We live our lives in that way. And because of our society has been so accepting of a Christian worldview over the generations, that gray is just really easy to slip into. But I think we realize, hopefully you're seeing around you, that the color gray is fading, the fog is lifting, and there's becoming a divide between the church and the world more and more. And actually, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all. We're certainly called to account to follow Christ. We're certainly called to be hot or cold. But what it means for us <clears throat> in this generation 
is that our kids are growing up without gray as an option. And so for us as parents, we have to adjust uh, accordingly. We have to make sure we understand that the stakes are high and that the kids are getting hit just straight on, not with this little twisted methods, but straight on just unbiblical thinking, just heretical thinking. Um, there's a battle for the minds of our kids. This is where a worldview comes in. It's, it's, it's happening. Just as parents, we can't be passive. We can't be casual. We can't be cynical. We can't make assumptions. Our schools, our society, our social media, our, some churches, friends, clubs, etc., all have agendas for your kids. You realize that? Every club that they're a part of, every sports team they're a part of, every person that they meet, everything that they watch on TV, every institution that they're a part of has an agenda for them. Some agendas that you would agree with and many that we would not. But there's agenda for our kids. Every student that walks on the University of Arkansas campus is worried that they're not going to you know, fit in. But what they find out really quickly is there's all kinds of clubs that want them. What they don't realize is those clubs have an agenda for them. Your kids are worried about not making friends. Your kids are worried about not fitting in, whether it's in a school system or a sports team or whatever, or a club, and they find their place. We realize is all of those clubs have an agenda to change their thinking in some way, to shape them, to give them a worldview that they think is important. We at this church have an agenda for your kids. We have a worldview. We have a, a theology. We have a Christ-centeredness that we're going to push on your children. If your children are in any of our classes, we hope the teacher has a good, godly, biblical agenda. But the world is the same. Everything that they're a part of, everything they watch. And more and more corporations have an agenda beyond a product. Have you noticed that? Everyone has a virtue that they want to signal your kid's direction. They have an agenda. It's not just about buying Legos. It's not just about, you know, eating out anymore. There's an agenda. Don't assume that your kids have the same basic worldview you grew up with. I think that's a reality of the world is changing so, so fast. I think growing up, we knew certain things were wrong, whether we were believers or not. And I think the kids now are not growing up with those core things in a place. Right is not always right. Truth is not always truth. The postmodern worldview has really taken over um, to where nothing has meaning anymore. And so we can't assume as parents that our kids even have the same basic understanding of right and wrong, good and evil that we did as an unbelieving child. There's an agenda out there, and it's, it's serious. So we're in a battle. And that's what I want to start off. And what's interesting, this week alone, some things were, put that right in my face. One was an email Michelle got um, from a site where parents post, it's called, um, what's the name of it again? Tiny Beans. So parents put pictures of their little babies on there, and then a week later, another picture in a day, and it chronicles like, you know, months and months of their kid's life, and grandparents love it, and they're all thumbs up and hearts, whatever. Well, they sent an email out to all their subscribers advertising new toys you could buy. And one of them was a Fisher-Price RuPaul Little People. So RuPaul is the most famous drag queen in the history and little Fisher-Price now has a little people set. If you know who the little people sets are for little toddlers, uh, they ha- now have a RuPaul set, which is RuPaul as a woman in two different wigs and RuPaul as a man, bald. Um, one of them was Lego Everyone is Awesome building set, all of rainbow colors. So it was every figure was a solid color and they were in the rainbow. 
There was Sonny, the light, bright, gender-fluid chameleon. Barbie, wow, was a drag, drag queen doll. Rainbow pride, Mickey Mouse, etc., etc. Walked into Barnes & Noble. Michelle walked into Barnes & Noble in the preteen section. All the books, the major displays were all about young gay relationships. Preschool, the preschool section, excuse me, the preschool section. This was a few days ago. Looked at the Walmart app. I was just curious what Walmart would have on their, on their app. Homepage towards the bottom, a new sportswear line featuring a lesbian couple that are designers, and it's called Sports and Love, exclusive to Walmart. Read an AP article this week about a Christian who works at an abortion clinic, talking about the Bible that she carries and what she believes. This was the worldview. This is, quote, We know that Christianity sports, supports freedom, and inherent to freedom is bodily autonomy. Inherent to Christianity is free will. When you talk about the body being a temple of God, you have purview over your body. There's nothing more sacred. She goes on to say, you don't get to tell me what to do, end quote. So there's a battle. There's a battle, a worldview battle out there, and it's in our face, and our kids are getting hit. It. When Lego and Fisher-Price and Mattel, the, the one who did the gender-fluid chameleon, all are teaming up on one side, our kids need parents more than ever. Our kids need us not to be passive, not to be casual or cynical about all these things, but proactive in raising our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You guys see that? I want to stir us up to understand the battle is raging. The battle is for their minds, and we see it. It's been that way forever. I don't want you to think that this is the, you know, the worst the world has been in the history of the world. You know, this has been the agenda of the evil one from the beginning. All the institutions of man. You, know, you see in Psalm 2, right? The, even the kings of the earth are going to team up against the Lord and his anointed. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The, this has some war language, doesn't it? Be careful. Don't let anyone take you captive. Now, obviously, it's not talking about chains and bars. It's talking about a captain of your mind, your thinking, your understanding. And what methods do they use? By philosophy and deceit. Philosophy and deceit. Philosophy really just circles around reality, knowledge, and value. Okay? When there's a philosophy, it's trying to define the world in terms of what is reality, what is knowledge, and where do we place value or where does value come from? That's philosophy. So the worldview of the world is trying to take us captive partly by philosophy, by redefining or defining reality, redefining or defining knowledge, redefining or defining what value, where value comes from, or what we value. But also it says that we can be taken captive by deceit. Now deceit isn't a passive thing, right? When you're deceived, that's intentional. That's somebody trying to trick you. It's trickery, it's falsehood. It's deceit. It's like our kids, it's become a family joke, but when we you know, take a box, a cardboard box that has a gift in it, and we wrap it, you know, our younger kids love when you open the box, and they go, oh, it's a box. 
You know, so it's like a joke. Your gift is the box, not what's in the box. Well, now it's because it's the new iteration of that joke is the box is now empty. So our younger kids like to wrap an empty box for someone's birthday. So if you come to my house on your birthday, there's a good chance that one of my younger kids is going to wrap a box and you're going to open it. And it really is going to be a box, a box. It's deceiving you, right? That's the world's whole philosophy. That's their whole view. That's the weight of everything that the world pitches our way. It's an empty box. It's an empty box. It says not only we're going to be held captive, we can be held captive by philosophy, worldviews, ideas that redefine reality, knowledge, value. We can be deceived intentionally, right, by others. And then, but what are those things based upon? Well, two things it defines. One is human traditions, right, human traditions. Not all, not all traditions are bad. These are talking about human traditions, things we've created for ourselves that maybe are substitutes, and elemental spirits or principles or ideas of the world. These are ideas that substitute for truth. So these things build a foundation. They're common things. It's, they're things that maybe I might say, I may give a statement that's a, based on human tradition, elemental spirit, and we all in the room kind of nod our house because, yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah, that's right. You know, just like I read this quote from the, the Christian who works at abortion clinic. Well, look, you know, the body's a temple. Yeah, it's a temple. So therefore, you get to say what you want with your own temple. Yeah, that, that kind of makes sense, right? It's all about you being happy. It's all about you being feel good. It's all about other people not oppressing you, right? Yeah, that all makes sense. Oppression, that's a terrible thing. It is. It is. True oppression is. And it said all these things build up a worldview. They build up these things that capture us or capture our children. And they're deceitful. They're hollow. They're empty. And it says they do all these things, but not based on Christ. Right? You see how it ends? He says they're according to human tradition, elemental spirits, not on Christ. So a deceptive argument will never be based on Christ. Right? So that's the real, that's the real dupe here. That's the gift leaving the box and being replaced an empty box is that Christ is not involved. There's no foundation of Christ. There's no arrow pointing to Christ. There's no dependence on Christ. There's no elevation of Christ and his glory and his goodness and your need, desperate, desperate need for him. You know, the, the need is for you to feel good about yourself, not for you to be broken under the weight of your sin. You see, that's deceptive. It's about self-esteem and not value based on a God who creates us in his image. That's deceptive. That's hollow. That's empty. That captures our minds. And, it, and it's now captured our entire culture or society. If you walk in a room and say, yeah, I think self-esteem is overplayed, you're going to be looked at like you've got you know, three ears and four eyes. What? What do you mean? Of course you have to feel good about yourself. We should love yourself. You should follow your heart. You should believe in yourself. Right, all these things that were that were taught. Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So a lot of this trapping, this captivity, they're words that we hear. They're empty words. They're empty words, whether we read them or we we you know we listen to them in a classroom or whether they're on a podcast or whether a cartoon character says them. They come by words. They enter our ears. Our kids hear them constantly, and 
they're being deceived with, but, and they're empty. You know, one of the most prevalent things going on that I see on college campus right now, and it's really in the high school and, and down as well, is just this idea of deconstructionism. You don't need to know the, the word necessarily, but it's the idea that we take something, we break it in its parts, almost like it's a buffet line, and we walk around with a plate and say, eh, I'll take a little bit of green beans, I'll take some dessert, I'll take some this. And now I've created a plate of my own making. Does that make sense? Nothing has a solid like package. You can't accept Christianity in its whole and have to debate it. You get the freedom now, because we're all autonomous, that we can break those things apart. And we talked about this, uh, I know, in an earlier class as we, we went through an apologetics class. There's a whole lecture with some of that around if you want to look it up. But, but the idea is prevalent and it's real. And so that's how you can be a Christian and yet have almost a, expire or to you know, believe in any of the tenets of the faith. Or you can pick and choose. You know, I love Jesus. I just don't think the Bible has any value whatsoever. Or I like these verses, but that doesn't seem to apply to me. You know, deconstructionism. It's almost like, you know, you take a, a vehicle, you break it up into pieces, you throw them in the parking lot, and you walk around with a bucket and pick the parts that you like. Well, I can, you can imagine how far you're going to drive that car. It's not going to go very far, right? Deconstructionism. It's, it's there. It's dangerous. It's alive. Your kids are getting it. Um, and we're tempted always to do it, right? How many of us have us say, well, I know a lot of things about the Bible that I just don't want to apply to my life, or I just don't. Right? I, I kind of gravitate towards these ideas, but these biblical principles are harder for me. So we, we naturally tend to want to avoid those things that we don't, you know, don't feel right, that aren't as palatable to us. Um, so we, let me suggest you find ways for your kids to, to uh, read things that aren't deconstructed. You know, I think um, I, you know, some, some resources that I like... Um, this is a really good one, Big Truths for Young Hearts. If you're looking for a good book just to read, it's not really a book on worldview, but it's a, it's a systematic theology written to a younger kid's level. Bruce Ware wrote this. He actually preached here, Stephen, when was that, a couple years ago? Has it been more than that when Bruce was here? Anyway, you can, you can get online, um, and you know, he has a sermon, but this is a great resource. The chapters are really short. Um, I think it's great, and it, it does reach some... You know, some elementary could read, could understand it, but it also is some challenging for high school. Um, we do, we, this is a book all our kids read called The Fallacy Detective. There's no, you know, it's not like a, a theology book, but um, it's really just about logic and just how to hear an argument and go, huh, that's not consistent, right? Super good resource. Um, you're welcome to look at these afterwards. For your older kids, I like R.C. Sproul personally. I think he does a really great job, apologetics. So he's got a little short textbook called Defending Your Faith, I think is really good. And then a, a lot of these little books that they put out uh, called Crucial Questions. So this one is What is Biblical Wisdom? How Should I Live in This World? Just good resources like that. I think this one is in the bookstall, these type, this series, um, Basics of the Reformed Faith. So this is one just on worldview. So I'll lay these up or if you want to shoot a picture of them later. But it's so important as our kids are getting hammered, that we're obviously giving them rich, deep, solid theology or help them understand how to think well, how to, how to develop and love God with their mind and understand the world around them and understand when someone has an agenda in their life and what it sounds like when they're getting a sales pitch and what, what empty and hollow words. 
sound like. It's like, for the illustration, you know, if you work at a bank and you hold enough $100 bills that when a, a counterfeit bill comes forward, it's so clear. That's what we want for our kids. We want them to hear so many good, rich, you know, true thoughts, true ideas that when a counterfeit idea comes through, a hollow and empty, deceitful, they're like, I don't know. You should hear your kids say things like, you know, I don't know for sure, but that doesn't sound right. Dad, what, is that right? Mom, is that, is that right? That doesn't sound right to me. Wow, that's, that's great. That's gold. You want to lean into that and affirm that you're right to have that litmus test, you know, that canary in the mind, something that's going to warn you that I don't, may not know what the real truth is here, but this sounds fishy to me. This doesn't seem consistent. Um, I'll challenge you to say when your kids say things that aren't really true about God, sin, redemption, um, you know, be careful not to just ignore that or to give them a preach easy answer. You know, we all want our kids to feel affirmed and all that, but, but there are worldly ideas, you know. Well, sweetie, God just really wants you to be happy all the time. Like, who, I want to say that to my kids. I want to think that God wants them to be happy all the time. But we know that happiness is circumstantial. Joy is not. So there's a difference. And so we have those opportunities to lean in and explain, help them understand, to be careful. Those could be empty, deceitful things. Um, all right, Ephesians 6, 4 gives us sort of the treatment for that. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So discipline, we've talked a lot about here. Instruction, also words. Also words. Like we have to let them hear things that are authentic and real and true, that elevate Christ and point them to the scriptures so that, again, they're, the noise in their head isn't all just the world stuff that they get numb to and comfortable to. So fathers, parents, instructions are important. Instructions. It's going to take some time. We're going get, to get into that a little bit later. But that's what we're called to do, bringing them up in discipline and instruction. Um, First Timothy, Paul warns Timothy, says, guard the deposit entrusted to you in First Timothy 6, 20 and 21. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. So our kids believing things that are falsely called knowledge or a philosophy, a redefinition of knowledge that isn't true will cause them to swerve from the faith. You see, there's an agenda. Ultimately, we know that Satan has an agenda for the world, and it is to cause us all to swerve, all to turn away from the true Christ. Knowledge, knowledge. All right. That was a fire hydrant. You guys have any comments, questions? I'll do this three or four times throughout the talk. So, so resonating. You guys see the battle? Not a shocker, but... All right. Yeah. Define, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm about to. Actually, I'll just give it to you now, and then I'll do it again when we get there. Um, so you'll see in your outline on 3A, what is worldview? So Daniel asked what it is. This is what I like from a Christian worldview. From a broad sense, it's almost like what, what glasses do you have on that you're seeing everything through? That's your worldview, right? If you think it's all about you, then when you don't get your way, then you'll, you'll see that as an affront to your, you know, something you deserve, a rightful thing that you possess, a promotion or dignity or respect or 
a smile or whatever that can turn you the wrong way. When you have it's all about you, then you project onto your parents how they should have treated you or raised you completely, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're personally offended by that. Or when your children don't obey or don't, you know, like make you look good in public, then we're offended by that. We're, we're duped by that, if that makes sense. So that's an example of a bad worldview where it's all about me. But, uh, but uh, so the worldview really are those glasses that you put on. If you put on blue tinted glasses, the entire world is going to have a blue tint. That's your worldview. So one of the things, I, one of the definitions of a Christian worldview that was simple enough for this class that I thought was good was from a guy at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He says simply that the existence of the triune incarnate God matters for how we address the deepest questions of being, knowledge, and value. So really a Christian worldview is that it actually it matters that God exists. You know, everything that we view is through him, if that makes sense. Um, so I would say if you're looking for a real simple, broad definition, think about the glasses, the tinted glasses thing, and then a biblical worldview we're going to talk about in a minute is that God actually matters in the midst of it all. I want us to see that not only is there a battle for our kid's mind, but the ultimate aim is a battle for their soul. The ultimate thing is that our kid's souls are at stake. Now, I, I am a 1,000% firm believer in the sovereignty of God in election, you know, uh, so don't hear me say anything that, that does that. But the means of grace that God gives our kids are their parents. We're a means of grace in their life to preach the gospel, to share the gospel, to labor and toil and sweat and pray and weep and push and parent and be exhausted day after day towards the end of seeing our kids come to know the Lord Christ. Amen? That's, that's our mission. Nothing else is more important, right? And so there's a battle for their soul. And so the battle for their mind has an end. And that's for their destruction. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? It's not for their good. It's not neutral, right? There's an ultimate eternal end in mind for the battle for our kids' minds. Maybe the scariest verse for many in the Bible is Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21, 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, not the one who does, uh, but the one who does the will of uh, my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then he'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So what's going on there? You have people that are doing a lot of things on the outside that look really great. Maybe they believe this lie that you can earn your way to God, and so they're working hard, outworking everyone to earn their favor, earn that position. You may have one of those kids in your home. You know, but in the end, he said, look, you didn't know me. I don't know you. You weren't mine, right? You're not redeemed. Well, what happened? I think one, lots of things, but in this conversation on worldview, Matthew 13, 19, talks about the parable of the sower. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This was sown along the path. There's the battle for this soul. So when truth hits, if it's not taken, if it's not understood, if the Lord doesn't open their mind and heart, if it's not explained and understood and they're deceived, taken captive, then Satan is just taking that, that seed, using every institution of the world, using every TV channel that he can get his hands on, using every book, every method possible to steal that seed away when we plant those seeds, gospel truths in our kids', kids lives.
Ephesians 6 is just a good reflection, 11 through 18. That's just in your notes. But just this battle, we put on the armor of God, just reminding us constantly that there's a battle. There's a battle continuously. And God's given us provision for that, for that battle. Great truth in 1 John 5, 18 and 19. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Praise God for that. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So there's a battle. The evil one um, has power in this world, and yet those who know Christ, the evil one does not touch. You know, now you could say, what about Job? Didn't the evil one touch him? Yeah, the, certainly the Lord gave him freedom to do that. Actually, God was God's idea, if you, if you read the, the account. Have you considered Job? Have you considered Job? You see? Um, so... Maybe a great assignment if you want to review the handout when we talked about gospel, um, you know, just some good practical ways to continue to put the gospel before, before our kids. There are some thoughts, some practical, practical things. So that's the battle. That's the battle that's around us that should motivate us, that should help us to stay sober, not get caught in the world, get in our own, in our own distractions, not be passive. Again, I think we're a cynical people not to get cynical about the world around us because our kids are suffering, our kids are in a battle while we're arguing about things that they don't give a flip about, right? It's not going to affect their eternity, but we need to press in, lean in, raise our kids, give them the understanding, you know, help them understand <clears throat> what the scriptures teach. All right, so let's talk about just worldview in general, okay? So that's the battle, now the, uh, the worldview. So what is a worldview? Um, I would say that, like I said on the lenses, everyone has them. Every one of us wears a pair of glasses that probably have lenses, multiple lenses, you know, some of which are based on human tradition, elemental spirits of the world, and some of them are based on Christ. And so part of our own journey before the Lord is just recognizing when we're believing lies, when we're falling in and just, just repentance, just ask God just to pull those back, pull those back that we may see Christ more clearly, more truly, more fully. When we do, we'll be less content to just dive into the world and be happy with what the world offers. We'll be less content to sin, less content to just live life casually, passively. But our passion for Christ will grow. Our kids, our wives, our husbands will see those things and be transformed as well. Um, maybe a question you could ask yourself is, what would your preschooler say is the most important thing in your life? What would your elementary school say, kids say, if I, if I asked them, you know, you know, I see Caleb back there. Caleb, what would your kids say? I'm not, you don't have to answer this. But like, hey, what's the most important thing in your dad's life? What would they say? That may just help you see what lens you have on, what the kind of things. Again, we talked a lot in the battle. There's words coming in, and we have to have words instruction going out to battle the, the words. The truth has to battle the lies. That makes sense? So what do you talk about? What do you, what do you get passionate about? What do you get mad about? You know, all those things. Is it, well, the most important thing in my mom's life is that I don't bother her. Or my most important thing in my dad's life or, you know, the Razorbacks. Or, you know, obviously his job. Or whatever that would be. Um, what, what questions do they ask you the most? What questions do they want your advice on? Why do they go to you? What do they think you're an expert at? Right? Um, what topics do they want to come to you if you have older kids about? Are they spiritual topics? Are they Bible topics? Are they topics of just faith in Christ? Or 
are they simply other things? Now, other things are good too. You want your kids asking you questions about all kinds of things, but certainly that may, that may tip the cards to say, hey, what do they see as my worldview? I'll give you this definition again. This is Greg Welty at Southeastern Baptist, but he says the you know, Christian worldview is, is simply put is that the existence of the triune incarnate God matters for how we, ad, we address the deepest questions of being, knowledge, value, okay? In other words, that the fact that God exists has to matter in everything that we do, every thought that we have, every decision that we make. How do we pick the car we drive or the house we live in, you know what I mean, the friends we keep, the church we go to, you know, all these things that the fact that God exists matters in all that. It's preemptive. It's, it's, it's the preeminent, I mean, thing there. If you read like Hebrews 11 where it talks about faith, it really starts out with faith that God exists and he created the world. Just foundational things. Those things matter. All right, I'm going to give you a quick assignment. If you're here with a spouse, you guys can do this together. You can do it on your own if you're not. Um, turn to Acts 17. This is Paul's speech in Athens, okay? This is 22 through 31, Acts 17, 22 through 31. What I want you to do is I want you to, um, I want you to read, read that together, and I want you to quickly discuss what worldview do you see Paul espousing here? What does he think about being? So those would be the existence of God, the origin of life, what sustains life, the meaning of life. So being, knowledge, and value. Those are the three things we said that are hollow, could be hollow and deceptive that philosophy defines. Being, what does he say about knowledge, the idea of truth, where it comes from, what it is, and value. That can do with where the source of value, what is valued, eternity, eternally valued, that kind of thing. So read that together real quick, and I'll, I'll call us to that in uh, just a couple minutes. Try to do it fairly quickly, just because of time.
All right. I know there wasn't very much time, but we're going to pull in. Give me some ideas. What did we learn about the idea of uh, being? What does Paul say about the existence of God, origin of life, about how life is sustained? Somebody throw that out. Verse 24, what does it say? Good. Yeah, so Paul wanted to say right at the beginning, these are, this is a pagan culture. Look, God made everything. He created, God exists, and he's a creator. So he defined quickly what his worldview is in the face of opposition. What else? I should have opened my Bible personally, so give me verse 28 here. Good. Yeah, we live, we move, we have our being like it's in Christ. So that's, that's it. He created life, he exists, he created life, he sustains life, he gives us our being, our meaning. What about knowledge? Anything about knowledge in here? The source of knowledge, what? Good. Yeah, clearly he, he doesn't mince words about where a source of knowledge comes from. That's good. Anything else? Good, good. Who gets to define what ignorance is? God does. And he's overlooked it, and now it's time. He's settling accounts, right? Knowledge is important. What about value? Anything about value in here? Where's the value come from? What about eternity? Does it exist? Those kind of things. Good. Yeah, that's right. God doesn't actually value, ultimately, eternally value your labor. That doesn't earn you anything. That doesn't, that's not where your value in God comes from. Where does it come from? That he's your creator. He exists and he's your creator. So that's an activity I would suggest to sit down at the dinner table, read that passage and say, hey, we're going to talk about some things. What do we know? What's Paul trying to tell these guys in Athens? What's important to him to understand? What do you believe? And sometimes we overlook the simple things. I go back to their kids aren't growing up with the same cultural you know, um, awareness of the, even the existence of God as even you had, no matter how young you are. Um, so just don't overlook the fact that you tell your kids God exists. God created everything. You know, we get that in our little kids' Sunday school classes, right? Who made the flowers? Who made the trees? Well, some teenagers need to be reminded. Of, some adults need to be reminded of who made the sunrise and the sunset, right? All right. Um, you see some other passage in there? I would suggest that Colossians 1 passage, 15 to 23, is another great one to do the same thing. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 8, 1 Peter 3. Those are all great passages for you to sit down and just maybe those are your first four around the table and just say, hey, we're just going to look at these and unpack them to get to kind of a worldview. Um, table talk to me is a really good opportunity if you can capture the table and have those of those times. Um, all right, so how do you identify your kid's view? I think really simply put, they, things that they say, again, you know, words are super important. So Psalm 14, 1, the beginning says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. And then Luke 6 tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
right? So you can hear a lot of your kids' words and go, oh, they, they're not there yet. That's foolishness, right? And then we lean in and we, we press that. So we can identify by the words that we hear, but also in what's realized, right? 1 John 1, 6, 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So there's a lot about our kids' reactions to your rules, to your correction, to their siblings, to toys getting taken away from, to disappointment that a certain thing isn't going to happen that they thought was going to happen, or whether it's ice cream or going to grandma's or getting a friend to spend the night or whatever, that'll tell us a lot about what their realized worldview. And by the way, it's the same with us, isn't it? You know, it's the same with us. We can tell a whole lot about what we really, truly value and believe by how we react personally, you know, um, what we see. You know, about two and a half or so, I think it's three years ago, we had a home fire, and it was interesting to see, you know, at that moment, our kids had to respond to something where they lost everything, a house and everything they owned, right? And so that's when that real worldview was on display. As a parent, we had some real gold to work with there to say, okay, clear view of how each child was going to respond. Um, So anyway, you probably have some examples of that in your own parenting you know, um, about walking in the light, you know, he says if we walk in darkness or walk in the light is a contrast with little kids. A lot of times, you know, um, walking in the light and the darkness may look like how, again, how they respond to your taking something away that they thought they were entitled to, right? Do they come to you to let you know things have not gone well, or do you have to always drag them out? You know, you have the kid that's like, you know, like phones at school, you know, would be like, yeah, yeah, nothing to see here, you know? That's walking in the darkness, you know. Um, so you can see that with the, the little kids. Are they defensive excuses? Do they hide things from you? You know, older kids, um, you know, especially your kids who know, say they know Christ. One good comment that I've used is, hey, you know, um, you say you want to follow Christ. Help me understand this inconsistency in your life. Help, help me. Like, you, you need to talk. You don't need to listen to me anymore. Like, you say this, you live this way, like, I'm confused here. What's going on, right? That's dragging them to have a conversation in the light. You know, if we're always reprimanding, leaning in, especially with older kids, they're going to sometimes retreat deeper in the darkness, right? But dragging them, making them walk into the light and talk about things of the light, I think is super important. There are consequences to an unbiblical worldview. Um, you know, Proverbs, we talked a lot last a couple, a few weeks ago about the consequences of being a fool. Remember we read different Proverbs. You guys looked them up. What does it mean? What are the consequences? Well, one is uh, Proverbs 10, 14, the wise lay up knowledge. So here's the idea of knowledge again, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. So the, the fool is actually bringing ruin closer to themselves, right? There's, a, there's the folly has a consequence. If they have a, a bad view, they don't understand that they need to lay up knowledge. They need to understand things. Um, the ultimate consequence or one of them is that we believe false things and we live in a false way. Like, you know, all these worldly things we're talking about lead us to, you know, um, Sonny the gender fluid chameleon thinking that's a really good idea for our, pre- our preschoolers to play with, right? Which is a Mattel toy. Um, so we believe things that are false so we live like they're true, right? We believe things that are false but live like they're they're true. And the ultimate end is the wrath of God's coming. Romans 1, another great passage you could read to your kids and just discern worldview throughout that. 
But he says the wrath of God in 18 and 19, wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see what they're doing? They're suppressing the truth. Why? Because they're unrighteous. Because in, again, Psalm 2, they, they want to cast the cords of God's restrictions, God's way from them. They want to break every covenantal relationship that God has placed in their life, especially the, between God and his people and secondarily between the parents and their kids. Part of the ministry of John the Baptist and Christ is to, to turn the hearts of children back to their fathers. You realize that? That's part of the ministry of the gospel is to turn kids' hearts back to their parents. Um, judgment is coming. Um, all right, so how do we cultivate a worldview? We'll, we'll spend about 15 minutes on, on this one probably. Um, I just wanted to pick one passage here on cultivating a worldview uh, as an exemplary passage, and we'll talk through that. But before we do, any thoughts, comments, maybe you have something you think would be really helpful uh, on this subject to say that this would be a good time to say that. <laughs> so part of the challenge that I had was how do we deal with children who are not who are questioning Christianity and yet in a way that there's truth is spoken in love. So part of my challenge was I was always saying always a consummate theologian whose theology was good but left that child cold. So mm. in the context of love, then as she grew and I grew, together by God's grace, we were able to have those conversations, but then it also morphed into I don't want to hurt. That's another challenge. Mm -hmm. So I, what I would wish I had done was that done it in a context of love. The words that we speak and the tone that we use, we can be absolutely right. But one thing that we have, we can forget is that we do it still all as sinners in need of grace. Mm, that's good. Yeah, so Dan just pointing out, like, we're, we're just as desperate for God's grace and mercy in our own lives as we are that our children see that, you know what I mean, as our kids are. And so... We're 100% dependent. So as soon as we feel like, you know, we've got this or we have an agenda that's just like it's dad's way or mom's way because we're right or because we're in control or whatever, then um, and our kids are easily going to either comply to that because they don't want the argument, they don't want the fight, but their heart is unchanged or they're going to start bucking up. And some of them get cold and some of them get, you know, hot and fiery, but either way it's a similar you know, response, if that, that makes sense. So I think it's so critical, and, and we'll get into this in a minute, but um, I asked Michelle, like, hey, when you think about worldview, like, what, what did, like, what, what's a good, solid, like, what would you say is a, you know, tip, something that you would really encourage people? And her answer um, was really around the idea of continually having conversations with your kids. Don't create a, a lack of the ability, I guess, or a relationship that isn't conversational. Be careful. Let them ask you any question they want to ask, no matter, you know, if their theology is crazy whacked or not or whatever, and press in and have that, that conversation. You know, there's, everything's on the table. Everything's fair game. But they understand that, like, you're going to hear from me what I believe the Scripture teaches. 
Like that's going to be my response because that's truth. And I love you enough. You're going to hear it. But I also love you enough. I'm going to listen. I'm going to let you ask me, you know, whatever it is. Especially today, man, they'll find the answer on this thing in about three seconds. But this is another one of those things that certainly could be used by the Satan to, to push them in the wrong way. Hollow and deceptive, empty words, you know, if that makes sense. Yes. No, go ahead, Evan. Mm-hmm. Well, it's obviously this way. Well, is it? Because there's a lot of people that would say it's another way. Right. Why? Why? Tell me why. Why is it? Why? You know, I think, and I think our kids are growing up in a time that's even more skeptical mm-hmm. and less willing to take the word of an authority just because they're authority. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, as parents, yeah, you have, to, you have to pay the price to figure that out as well, right? Like, yeah, you have to have some answers or be willing to say, okay, let's read this together and get some, get some perspective or let's go together to so-and-so at church I know thinks well about this matter. I think that's, you know, that's critical. You know, it's like the old, you know, if the well's dry, you're not going to be giving them a lot of water to drink, you know, if that makes sense. Did you want to add to that, Michelle?
It's good. Yeah, I think that, you know, if we're, if we're so focused on being cynical about all of the agenda, say, to blur gender and sexuality, yet maybe one of our kids has a sort of a, like, internally maybe struggling a little bit with some same-sex attraction issues, they're not coming to you. If all they're hearing around the table is you being cynical and throwing the culture under the bus, right? Like, creating that relationship where they'll come to you and go, you know, Mom, I don't know, I've just been really like tempted in this area lately. Maybe they haven't done anything. That's when you want them to come, right? Not after they've blown it and you caught them, but when they're in the heart, they're wrestling. They're having these thoughts, these ideas. And so you create that culture where conversation is the foundation, you know, of it all. So how you talk to them about, you know, their art project may affect whether they're going to come back to you later when they're struggling with something that's embarrassing. Think about it as adults, like, uh, you know, they're people in this room we've done a lot of life with, and I'm still would be embarrassed to go to them and tell them about a temptation or a sin or a struggle in my own life, you know, insecurity. So much more of the kids, we just have to build that, that culture. Let's look at Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to read it, and um, if we don't make it through all this, fine, I'll just pick it up next week. It fits right into next week's topic well. I almost broke it off here anyway. Um, this is um, from Deuteronomy 6, 4, basically through 12. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers... Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So what do we learn here about cultivating a biblical worldview, cultivating an understanding, passing things on to our children? A few things. Number one, it starts with you and me. What does he say? These words that I've commanded today shall be on your heart. So it's what Evan was talking about a bit, right? Like we have to know these things. These things have to be on our heart. Out of the overflow of our heart, guess what happens? Our mouth speaks. If we're not speaking of the things of God, then guess where we're lacking to understand the word things of God, right? It's a hard issue in our own life. Maybe we need a personal revival. Maybe empty words that we are believing these days have captured us more than we realize. Certainly the landscape is full of fodder for our false views. Are we reading the word with confidence that it's sufficient to reveal the truth about who God is and what he requires? Do we see the word as airless, eternal, ever-relevant, a provision of God who loves us and our kids without limit. Um, you know, I, you hear people say occasionally at a funeral, you know, above everything else, and sometimes the most pagan people in your family will say, above everything else, I just knew my grandma loved Jesus. Like, that'd be okay if my kids said that about me. That'd be great if your kids said that about you. I don't know, out of everything, they hope they're not pagans, <laughs> but you want them to know, like, I don't know, if I could sum her life up, it's just that she loved Jesus, and I just... Couldn't deny that. Um, so it, begins, it starts with the parents. These words I've commanded shall be on your heart. And what are you supposed to do with it? 
Secondly, it's passed on with words. We talked about words a few times through this, how important it is. You shall teach them how often, diligently to your children, you shall talk of them. So words in your home have to be passed upon. In our home, our kids, we we read books on logic, Latin, and the English language. We watch videos on the age of the earth, evolution, world religions. We talk about Islam, Buddhism, atheism. After dinner, sometimes we discuss abortion, homosexuality, Christian liberty. Our kids are exposed to much of the dangers of the world around them, and they're very free to ask questions, give their thoughts. And I think that's super important to have that. Sometimes, I mean, the food is hardened on the plates by the time we, can, we finish conversation around the table. And I think that's a, it's a healthy thing. Not always. I wish we did it a lot more. But those things should be on there. You should provide opportunities for your kids to watch things, read things, talk about things. I, I said before, I'm a huge believer in capturing mealtimes. I think it's huge. My suggestion would be to keep your Bible within arm's length of your spot at the table if you can, even if you have to rearrange the house to have a prominent place. So after the meal, push your plate, grab the Bible, read whatever's next. It doesn't even matter what you're reading. Just read the next thing and just say, what do you think? What did you hear? That's the, one of the best questions. Like, what, what did you hear? Let's talk about it. Um, we say almost any subject or perspective is on the table. Now, we have older kids and younger kids, so there are some subjects we won't talk about in the mix of younger kids. It has to be age appropriate. But it isn't that someone that questions a truth that we believe so dearly is out of, out of bounds. But I will say this, the only evangelists allowed around the table are those who seek Christ and believe his word. There's a difference. So it's one thing to be respectful and let them talk, but there's not going to be any evangelism around my table unless it's somebody who knows the word and, and honors Christ. Does that make sense? It's not a debate on whose perspective is right. The scriptures are right. It's a conversation of how do we understand them and how do we apply and what questions do we have that we still need to press in and get answers for. So does that clarity make sense, the difference? Um, you know, the Bible talks about bad theology and false prophets. Bad theology needs to be corrected one way. False prophets need to be avoided. In fact, 1 John 3, I think, says we don't even invite false prophets to dinner. Right? So it's, it's different. So it's communicated with words. It's communicated consistently. consistently. He says diligently. When you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. What's he saying there? All the time, all the time. Be consistent. Be annoying. It's fine. Annoying parents are the best parents out there. Your kids should roll their eyes. You hear it so many times, and yet you know it's getting in their heart, right? Um, when you fish, when you garden, when you drive to ball games, these are all great times to talk about meaningful things. Talk about meaningful stuff. Just make it a point to ask them a meaningful question and let and see where it goes. Ask them questions, and they typically ask you questions in return. Ask your kid questions. As older they get, they typically will start asking you questions. Um, You'll never know their worldview unless they talk to you. So it's communicated consistently. Look at that sunset, right? Look at that beautiful. God just painted a picture for us. As corny as that sounds, it's a great thing to say to your kids, right? Um, Isn't it awesome God healed you? And he made our body where they heal itself. Isn't this great? Even when you suffer, we have to trust God even when we don't understand. Let me tell you about a time when I didn't get what I wanted. It was really hard, and I was angry, but God God was there. Um, That culture of conversation will pay huge dividends. It's it's remembered with stories and stones, stones being like memory stones or our, you know, know, um, altars. 
You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This passage in that time was meant literally. Write it on your gate. Make sure. Do your kids walk into the house after school or play and know they're in a Christian home? Consider maybe scriptures for the room, playroom, those kind of things. Do you have any personal stories that highlight God's faithfulness on your, in your life? You should share them all the time. Ask kids to pray with you about decisions, hardships. Let them see how you handle these situations, even if the answer isn't obvious. You know, the, I told you about our home fire. Well, that's a story that our kids will tell their kids. It's just one of those stories. We didn't create it. We didn't want it. But that story is one that will go on, and it, hopefully it's laced with just God's faithfulness, and it is taking care of us. Um, help him understand, as, as Greg Welty reminded us, that God matters in all of these things, right? Pray with them when they need a Band-Aid. <laughs> you know, pray with them when you spank them. Pray with them when, you know, you have these conversations. Um, engage your kids in family giving. Do you have an account set up to give money away? You should. You should have a set of money aside that if someone has a need, you just have it. And then talk to your kids about it. Ask your kids to tell you when they see a family in need, even if it's a dollar at lunch for a milk, and help them help you spend your giving. You know, keep them engaged to serve. If you go to serve a family, you should have a child with you. Take your kids, you know, to go with you to deliver a meal or dig in a flower bed or, or go pray with somebody in the hospital. Um, it's also reinforced by your community. He says, hear, O Israel. He's talking to them as a, as a group. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. So your community will reinforce. Put them around people that reinforce your biblical worldview. Put them around people that think well, that live well. Use them. You have some great observations, like uh, illustrations you can give your kids. Well, you know, you know Mr. Dan and Ms. Glory, like, you, you know, you can talk to them about them if they know them well, right? You know, you know how he loves Jesus. Remember the other night when we were with them, they talked about how God did this in their life. Or remember that Bible verse that, that Mr. JJ said the other night, you know, you want them around those people. So it's reinforced. Hero Israel. The last thing um, is it's easily forgotten. It's easy. We have to be diligent. He says, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of slavery. That's not a small thing. Well, you, you're going to tell me that the people of Israel are going to forget God who thwarted the most, most powerful army in the history of the world, that parted the Red Sea, that provided manna, provided quail, gave them you know, military help, water from a rock, all these things, and they're just going to quit. They're just going to forget when they get there, when they get comfortable. Yes, and so will you, and so, so do I. How much more have we been delivered from spiritual slavery? We, we forget. We live lives as functional atheists sometimes. Um, you know, we tell our kids, pick up their shoes, and they never forget that ever again, do they? R rinse your dishes. One time, done. Don't leave your schoolwork out after you're finished. Wipe your feet before you come in the house. Don't wear your good jeans when you're playing in the yard. Right? Anybody ever have to remind their kids more than once about not putting their good shoes on when they're out in the mud or whatever? Right? The good things leak. We forget things. Knowledge and understanding leak. How many times do you and I hear a simple truth and realize how we've slipped from living in it? Some of the most powerful messages we listen to are the simplest. Hey, you know what? Where God guides, he provides. You know? Like we can trust God. God's sovereign. He's good. He's kind. He's faithful. Um, you know, I've made a mistake in the past thinking that we explain truth to our kids 
they got it. Oh, yeah, man, we, that Devo, that nailed it. Like, they, they'll never forget, you know what I mean, this truth. And then they leave, and they're like, what verse did we just talk about? Right? So we have to be diligent. It's so easy for these things to be forgotten. Um, here the nation of Israel saw the downfall of Egypt, and they were prone, it says, to forget the Lord. And the Lord was kind enough to tell them to be careful, lest you forget me, lest you forget me. Some practical things are on the back. Um, I'm just going to walk through some of these. But, I, again, mealtime, bedtime, long walks, just be intentional. Find meaningful conversation opportunities. Uh, creation is a great landscape to have conversations. You know, we know that. Romans 1, we know, you know, Psalm 19. I mean, there's just, he's, his heavens are a display. They're a canvas. So we have no excuse to find a subject matter that gets us talking about God. Right? Man, look at that. Look at somebody planted all these roses. Man, isn't God great? Look how he made all these beautiful colors. Isn't it great that his people would serve the church and just plant flowers? Isn't that great? You know? You know and then just get that. Um, don't get caught in cultural banter at the expense of discussing more formative and eternal matters. That's so big right now. It's big in my own, my own life. You know, I had to turn off talk radio, Fox News, CNN, whatever. All gone. I have a one news feed in the morning. I just don't need it anymore. Like, I get it. The world's going to hell in a handbasket, and we should be broken and be praying and protect our kids. But let's just be careful not to like, replace meaningful conversation with cultural banter. Um, suffering is confusing to children. Use moments of pain and disappointment to point them to God's love and ultimate comfort. Right? But, but God could have made me not scrape my knee, or how come I didn't get that, or how come that friend said that ugly thing to me, or how come, you know, whatever it is, I didn't get invited to that party those are moments that kids are confused. It's a great opportunity to point them to God's love and your love, right? You're that substitution at this point. You know, you're modeling that. This is Dan was talking earlier. The way you respond to their hurt will teach them a lot about God. Read good books. I said before, Big Truth with Young Hearts, I think is a great one to start with. Kind of that, I don't know, maybe like 7 to 17 kind of. I just think it's, it's good. Um, there are some other ones for younger kids. Um, uh, I said this before, but God, man, Christ response is a great, just filter, you know, to look at everything. How do we see God here? What do we know about man? Where's Christ fit in and how should we respond to him? Just real simple. Um, I use personally in my head a lot. I'll go, okay, what is it? So what? Why is it a big deal now? What do we do about it? So what? Uh, what? So what? Now what? You know, it's just some kind of filter that you have. God, man, Christ response, things that you can structure meaningful conversations without, you know, them knowing that you have a structure to the conversation, right? The last one is catechisms are great memorization tools. They help you understand being knowledge and value, you know, just with a memorization of things. So that was a lot. We're at 1015, so we're supposed to stop. But um, if you have questions next week, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about living this life um, not just sort of shaping the minds, battling the minds, battling worldview. So how do you now live life with God in the middle? In the middle? And again, like I said, I'm going to um, try to structure it. We have a significant amount of time just to, just to chat back and forth, and you can ask questions. If you want to send me those, some of those in advance, you can, but you don't, ha- you don't have to. So so good? Appreciate it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the morning. Grateful uh, again for your word. Grateful. Lord, that you, um, you long to protect your people, that you give us children. You call us to a marriage, partly to, to produce godly children. And so 
Help us to be faithful in that task and to depend upon you in prayer and just by faith. In Christ's name, amen.